Well, 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 here we are once again, post-WrestleMania, talking about the great sport of professional wrestling here on Heel Turn Wrestling. It is, of course, me. It is me, the big old Stevie C here with you, kicking it on a Sunday afternoon, as I always do back at the same time and the same bat channel. It is, once again, the Heel and Face podcast. How are you guys doing today? Uh, a lot to get into. Some literal and figurative backlash from WrestleMania. Going to be celebrating some moments here. I'm going to give you the review of WrestleMania Night 2 that you guys were anticipating. I was trying to get it on as like a special secret edition of Heel and Face, but it didn't happen that way. However, if you were on and you did pay attention, you did notice that I had cut a huge breaking news segment on Wednesday afternoon. The guys at Heel and Face, or I'm sorry, Heel Turn Wrestling asked me to do it. And uh, I just got on and I just made it work. Uh, so I will uh, encourage you to go back to that and watch that video and react to that as well. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of the podcast or will listen to the audio version of the podcast or want to go back to the audio version of the podcast, you can. You'll be able to hear that in its entirety spliced into the rest of this podcast. So we are going to go kind of long, kind of raw, not too dirty, but for your entertainment. Again, on the Heel and Face podcast, brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. So, welcome aboard, everybody. And we're just going to get right to it. Why waste time and why uh, dance around the issues? Let's just get right to the news, shall we? Yeah, it seems as though um, that's pretty much uh, – it can go quick because I can talk about the news just in fits and spurts. And then save the big issues for later. And uh, I'll splice in my analysis of NXT as well. Uh, but actually, before we get to the news, why don't we just go ahead and talk about night two of WrestleMania. And I am a little, I'm not going to lie, upset. Because as great as night one was, night two was very lackluster. And it was a little disappointing to see. Uh, just kind of the letdown. And of course, it began with the first match and couldn't regain its own momentum after that. It was really disappointing. So uh, let's go right to it. Um, I didn't really care for the theatrics again. I don't care who sings what song, when and where. Um, I have some personal feelings about uh, singing anthems and songs before sports events, but I'll just keep them myself. That's a different podcast for a different day. Uh, so let's just get um, right to the biggest disappointment, the biggest letdown of the entire two-day uh, process, the two-day event, which was the match between The Fiend versus Randy Orton. Now, before you say anything, I understand many of you are going to um, talk about uh, storytelling and how character development is necessary. And trust me and believe, trust and believe that I am one of the biggest proponents of The Fiend. I think it's a great gimmick. It's a great character. It could have been the undertaker of this next generation had Vince McMahon and 20 million different writers in the back and 50 different agents uh, not completely screw this up. And I've said before that there has been a lot of leaks coming out of WWE. A lot of people know that despite Vince's stupid ideas on what this should look like and what they're willing to produce, there is actually one writer in the back who does work very closely with Bray and 
Bo Dallas, who's no longer in the WWE, if you haven't heard the news, who is not only helping Bray put things together for the Fiend character, but is also leaning heavily towards a lot of the things that Bray believes in, like the Illuminati, like the lizard people, any conspiracy theory that's out there. So you had a sympathetic ear or you have one in a writer in the back. Unfortunately, it's only one. And this poor writer probably doesn't get a whole lot of say in everything. So I guess whatever they do, he and Bray Wyatt come up with ideas for the character, the Fiend and Bray Wyatt. And then, of course, they have to pitch him to Vince. And, of course, Vince thinks it's a stupid idea because he's senile himself and doesn't get it. And that's exactly what we got. We got Randy Orton defeating the Fiend with the help of Alexa Bliss, uh, who, and I don't want to spoil my uh, review of Raw either, but on Raw, she did the whole explanation as to why she did what she did. And she meandered about and got to the point of she realized that she didn't need the darkness or she was the darkness or the dark, or she took over the darkness. Some, some kind of, again, trite, pre-scripted stupidity that she just babbled out because it was justification enough for her to turn on the fiend, which is basically in a sense what she did. Um, the match was thought was going to go pretty well. As soon as he popped out, as soon as the fiend popped out of this giant Jack in the box that was presented at ringside and then proceeded to leap off of the Jack in the box and onto Randy Orton. I felt like, okay, going to start weird. They're continuing the uh, Jack in the box thing, but it's going pretty well and we'll see what happens. It should be a pretty decent match. There's no way they could screw this up. And then they ultimately screwed it up. Um, Fiend got a lot of offense in. And then all of a sudden, Alexa Bliss disappeared and came back from inside the box. She came out of the Jack in the Box side, but then she started bleeding black blood. You're right. You heard that right. She started bleeding black blood. Well, the Fiend, I don't know if he, if he was mesmerized or if he was frightened in his tracks or whatever emotion the Fiend felt was completely off-putting to him, took him completely off guard, and Randy Orton came in and got the one, two, three with the RKO. Um, there were audible crowd boos. People were not happy with this, and I wasn't. I was kind of shocked myself. I really, uh, I'm at a loss. Uh, I know, again, that some of you are going to argue that it was storytelling. Some of you are going to argue that it was all part of the reimagining and rebuilding and retooling of The Fiend. The problem is, if you're going to give him too many nuances and not work on the ones that he has, you're just going to make him watered down in the very same way that if you make a character too narrow, you're going to pigeonhole him in a different direction. I'm okay with giving a character two or three different nuances or two three different quirks to work on and work through. But if every weekend he's doing something weird and it has to do with somebody else and he's not getting clean pins anymore, especially at WrestleManias, then what's the point? And you just might as well bring back Doink the Clown. Might as well bring back Evil Doink, as a matter of fact. So that was a huge disappointment. Crowd really did not appreciate it. I honestly thought it was going to be another cinematic match, but I guess you can only have so many of those. And Randy Orton is now inserted back into the picture. It seems like Bray Wyatt is not in the title picture right now, and it's going to be very curious to see who he takes on going forward because this is pretty much buried. Although there was a hint on Raw, and I'll get to my analysis of Raw later on in the podcast. Next, the Women's Tag Championship. This was the carryover from the other night. Uh, the uh, tag team of uh, Shayna Baszler uh, and Nia Jax beating Natalia and Tamina in a match where, again, as I predicted, uh, why even bother if you're just going to 
job them out, which is basically what they did. Um, Natalia and Tamina got some pretty decent offense in um, at times, but it really, I guess, didn't matter. Um, uh, they uh, really went after uh, Natalia's leg. Baszler even doing the uncomfortable ankle stomps and stuff. Uh, there, Baszler did a uh, really nice uh, stretch muffler where she pulled down on the ankle and wrenched the knee and had Natalia uh, uh, in a hurt. Um, got some, got their heat back. Tamina got up on the top rope for the super five splash, but uh, she missed. Natalia tagged herself in, um, tried to put the sharpshooter on Nia Jax, uh, but she wasn't legal. So Jax came in from behind and uh, put her in the care food of clutch, tapped her out for the win. Again, why are you wasting our time? We get it. We want women. We want to see more women. We want to see more women wrestle. But why are you going to put the most unlikely tag duo to fight against uh, uh, the tag champions? It just it doesn't make much sense. And I feel bad for Tamina, and I feel bad for uh, for Natalia. They should have won. They didn't. Um, next was Kevin Owens defeated Sami Zayn, probably one of the better matches of the night um probably one that was probably one of the best out of probably probably one of the three top matches of the entire night so uh it was just a typical kevin owens versus Sami Zayn fight but in a non-typical type of way this is also the way to introduce the big star of the night logan paul so we really shouldn't read that much into it um they know what they're doing they each they hit each other's moves they knew what to do uh for, you know, friends like to wrestle each other from what I hear. Uh, this is, by the way, coming off of a huge promo that Kevin Owens cut during uh, night one with the rain delay. And who better to give the mic to on a rain delay than Kevin Owens himself? So um, KO fought uh, Sammy tooth and nail. There was uh, good spots like the sentons and the pop up power bomb at the beginning which was pretty awesome. Um, they just hit each other's moves on each other. And uh, Sami Zayn had a lot of offense at the end until uh, KO got the upper hand and uh, missed the Haluva kick and came back with the stunner. Bang, one, two, three. Logan Paul was no help to Sami Zayn, even laughing at him. So uh, they uh, removed Zayn from the ring and then of course, Logan Paul wanted to shake Steve Austin's hand, but I'm sorry, not Steve Austin, Kevin Owens' hand. Wow. But uh, Kevin Owens wasn't having it and came in, bang, hit him with the stunner. For Logan Paul's uh, credit, he took that stunner pretty well. And he got on his podcast or his show or whatever a couple of days later, and he really did say some nice things. Uh, he really did praise uh, wrestlers and wrestling and said that what they do is legit and they go full go and they're throwing their bodies around and he got to really see it up close to see what it was for what it was. And unlike uh, his fight with Ben Askren last night, uh, which was a complete work, but um, at least Logan Paul gave some props and respect to the wrestlers. So good, good for him. He did get stunned and he did sell it. He said, he said, he kind of gave a wink and a nod to wrestling. He said, uh, they asked me if it really hurt. And I'm like, yeah, like the ref, she was on there. She said, are you okay? Are you okay? And, he, and I was like, yeah. And he said he was legitimately selling the stunner, but he also knew that he was okay. So there you go. Thanks for putting over the move. Um, appreciate it. So there was that. Um, next match, Sheamus versus Riddle for the U.S. Championship. 
again, I mean, this could this this had the feel of a Raw match, like a Raw main event. So if it has a feel for a Raw main event, why put it on WrestleMania? I'm just completely not interested in this match. Uh, huge fan of Matt Riddle, uh, his little uh, markout session when he got to meet RVD backstage when he was on the bump was hilarious. But other than that, like, I like Matt Riddle. I do like Matt Riddle a lot. Sheamus winning the belt does nothing for me. So he's already had it. So what's the point? Um, they did go stiff a little bit, and I was a little worried that Sheamus might have actually taken a liberty at the end. I don't, I don't hope not. Um, he caught, finally caught Riddle with a brogue kick while Riddle was in midair performing a uh, like a, a lion salt or the bro salt or something like that, and smashed Riddle right in his bottom lip. He was bleeding all over the place the next day on Raw. He had a real fat lip. So again. I don't know why they're giving the U.S. title to Sheamus. He doesn't need it. Riddle doesn't need to lose it. I don't know why WWE continues to book this way. I was not interested in this match at all. So we'll just move on to a match that just wasn't really any better. Here we have the Apollo Crews versus Big E for the Intercontinental Championship match as a Nigerian drum fight. And it just continues to amaze me that uh, WWE continues to perpetuate this stupidity, like continues to perpetuate this, you know, because as big as Bianca Belair's night was for night one and as much of a momentous historical event that night one was with winning and having two African-American women uh, uh, battle for the main event for the women's belt at WrestleMania, um, then you have the boring, lazy booking of, hey, let's make the bad guy a foreigner and we'll go from there. Um, the match started craptacularly and it ended craptacularly because the first thing they did during a Nigerian drum fight was to get kendo sticks and just whip the dog snot out of each other for like 10 minutes. Um, I don't really get that. I, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not a prude as far as hardcore matches or, or whatever. But as a Nigerian drum fight, which, by the way, drums and percussion instruments like lumberjacks around the ring. OK. And yes, of course, Chekhov's drum comes into play because they did use some drums. Uh, the, I thought it was kind of hilarious. Biggie actually smashed a pile with the with the with a gong. So that was pretty funny. Um, then. But but see, this thing went from whacking each other with kendo sticks to Biggie putting Apollo uh, Cruz into the steel steps. And doing things like that. Um, so, you know, I mean, you can't just have two guys fight. You can't just have two guys who are equally matched in athleticism and, and strength and, and charisma. They just can't fight because why? Why would why why would the WWE want that? Um, he uh, Cruz uh, tried to put Biggie through the table with a frog splash, but Biggie ran out of the way. Um, Biggie had the upper hand and he was about to put uh, Cruz in the big ending when all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, a mysterious, but not real mysterious, figure comes running out of the back. A mysterious figure that we've seen before comes running out of the back. Um, this was an OD disqualification, yet uh, it seems as though they still want to just do shenanigans. It was just an excuse. If you're going to use a no disqualification match just to continue your silliness, and your shenanigans, then don't have a no disqualification match. Just do something in the back or whatever. So um, the former Daba Daba Hey Daba Kados is now Apollo Cruz's right-hand man. 
and Davo Cato came in. He attacked Big E and um, hit Big E with the choke slam. And then Apollo Crews was dragged over for the one, two, three. And Apollo Crews is your new Intercontinental Champion. Not to be outdone. And I didn't watch SmackDown. I'm just letting you know right now. I did not watch SmackDown, but I'm just letting you know that uh, I did see Apollo Crews introduce us to not Dabakatos, Commander Aziz from the Nigerian Elite Army because Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn are stuck in 1984 and the only way to get cheap heat is the foreign heel. It just, it just blows my mind that that's where we're at in 2021 with a global pandemic and people who are openly expressing their disgust and their revolutionary ideas that things need to change about how we perceive people who are a different color or a different race. But not WWE. We're doing the whole foreigner heel LOL shtick. And it's 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 getting embarrassing. It really is getting embarrassing to the point. And not only that, but of course he has the Nigerian nail, you know, not like the Asian thumb strike the Nigerian nail, uh, because I guess Nigerian nails are a lot stronger than tougher. I wouldn't be surprised if Nigerian nails were tougher and stronger, but, uh, here's where we are, uh, again, with the heel being the evil foreigner dude, <laughs> and your new WWE intercontinental champion, Apollo Crews. We'll go right ahead then. And we'll get to, oops, Let's see. Do, 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 do. What was the next match? Where's my notes? Where's my notes? Where's my notes? Oh, yeah. Um, so this match, the next match kind of recovered from it. Uh, it was Rhea Ripley defeating Asuka to capture the Raw Women's Championship. This match kind of recovered. Uh, it was a lot better than uh, anticipated. Um, we know that, again, we have nothing. No one has any idea what to do with anybody. And Asuka's had the belt for a while. And God bless her because she, you know, what else is she supposed to do? Um, they had to wait to call somebody up who was credible enough, and Rhea Ripley is, and Rhea Ripley took advantage of a situation. So God bless everybody involved. Oscar um, <clears throat> pulled a lot of veteran moves on her, uh, charging and striking and then backing away. And that happened for the first five minutes. Um, <clears throat> uh, Ripley got a lot of her good offense in, and, um, and she talked a little trash with her, so that was pretty awesome. Um, again, I hate ring apron moves, but people continue to do it. Um, Oscar put, uh, uh, Ripley in the DDT, just basically DDT her from the ring apron down to the floor, which I guess there's more padding on the floor than the actual ring apron, but, uh, suffice it to say, uh, then, uh, started, uh, putting like a bunch of holds and moves on her, um, just kept on it. You know, Oscar being Oscar strikes and submission strikes and submissions. Um, uh, Ripley held on. She made a little bit of a comeback, came in and hit uh, Asuka with the Riptide and won. So here you go. Rhea Ripley is the former NXT. She's NXT Women's or UK Women's. And now she's the WWE Raw Women's Champion. So congratulations to her. And she's barely, what, 24? Congratulations to her. Screw the haters. Some of you out there who hate Rhea Ripley because you don't think she's hot or whatever uh, probably have never touched a boob in your life anyway. So... Get off of the hate train, get on the Rhea Ripley Riptide, and let's go. Uh, and then the final match of the night was the triple threat, which I wasn't even really that excited for either. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't really great for me. Uh, was the uh, triple threat between uh, Daniel Bryan, Edge, and uh, Roman Reigns. Now, they did pull it back for me. They did pull it together. 
they they made things not obvious that were obvious. Um, the first thing that happened in the match was because again no disqualification, so Jay Uso came in and got some shots in on both guys. Uh, uh, Edge DDT'd him on the steps, so thanks for coming. Um, Reigns and Edge, I, they hit each other with their own spears at the same time to like nullify themselves. It was like uh, actually antimatter was formed when that happened. Um, Daniel Bryan uh, took advantage and uh, just basically started beating everybody up with headbutts and yes kicks. Um, uh, Roman Reigns came back, looked strong, beat up Daniel Bryan for a while. Um, and then Edge came back with a spear off the steps. And then they mixed it up a little bit. And then Edge brought it to another level by applying his own crossface. Because I guess Canadians have to know two holds uh, because of Bret Hart. They have to know the uh, crossface and they have to know the sharpshooter. That's just in uh, Canadian wrestler DNA. And not only that, but there was a point where uh, Reigns had a chair and the chair was gimmicked to have a little bar fall out of it after uh, Edge stopped all that. And the bar fell out. So Edge grabbed the bar and used that, put it in uh, Roman Reigns' mouth uh, to kind of add more pressure and more pain to the crossface. But not to be undone, Daniel Bryan saw what was up and climbed in the ring. And again, because there's no disqualification, Daniel Bryan came in and put his version of the yes lock on Reigns' other side. So it was a really good spot. I'll give him props for that good spot uh, because it got better then because they were both pulling on and Reigns can't tap out and he can't really do anything but scream because he can't talk. So and he's really pulled back like this. It's really good. And then uh, Daniel Bryan and Edge look at each other, and and, they, and I think Edge started first. He said, "Let go." And Daniel Bryan said, "You let go." And they both go back and forth. Let go. You let go. You let go. You let go. But finally, Edge leans over and he kind of like uh, tries to headbutt Daniel Bryan. So Daniel Bryan follows him. And again, because the cameras were right on top of the wrestlers, it looked kind of visually worse than it did. It didn't really like no one really connected with those headbutts. Um, but the concept was good. It was fun anyway. It, it just kind of low-key popped me a little bit. I did uh, enjoy that part. Um, uh, at some point, Edge gained control over Reigns. Edge even went for the pin, but Daniel Bryan pulled the referee out at the last minute. Um, and then in the middle of the ring, there was a concerto, and uh, Edge hit Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns with concertos, which, again, we're dealing with guys with neck and head injuries and concussions. I don't feel like... One-man concertos are good ideas, but he hit one on Daniel Bryan. Um, Jay Uso tried to insert himself back into the ring, but again, Edge was still not having it and speared him. Um, uh, Daniel Bryan, um, I'm sorry, uh, Reigns got up. He That was the opportunity that he needed. Uh, hit Edge with a spear and then hitting uh, Edge with a concerto of his own. Then this was kind of a boss move. I actually remarked to my friend that the end was kind of a boss move with Roman Reigns dragging uh edge on top of a lifeless daniel bryan and then roman reigns making the pin like a two-on-one like i conquered both like i'm the big lion or lioness actually if you know about lions uh bringing the carcass over and standing over it triumphantly that's kind of how he looked he looked like he was just stacking bodies which he was and he got the pin one two three to retain the universal heavyweight championship so um all in all uh, they had to work to recover the crowd. They had to re work to recover me as a fan. And I tried to employ the strategy of out of sight, out of mind with all the kind of garbage that happened and kind of focus on the matches as they were. The matches that went along as they were, were okay. The matches that I wasn't interested in or that just kind of generally sucked, just sucked. So unfortunately, out of night two, 
Um, probably the best match uh, was either uh, Sammy Zayn versus Kevin Owens with Logan Paul. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that was it, really, honestly. It was the match that kind of stole the show, really was the one that was interesting to the most. I'd say the, the, the Rhea Ripley versus Asuka match was pretty good, too. But overall, night two was definitely a C. I give it a grade of a C. And what they really should have done, and I don't know if I predicted this or not, but they should have put night two on night one and night one on night two. That would have been a big, better payoff because you still could have gotten your main event. You still would have gotten your 24-hour cycle talk about Bianca Belair winning. And it would have worked. It would have completely worked for, for everything. Um, I kind of feel like maybe they did this because maybe they wanted to give everybody the good wine first so that they were drunk enough. You know, like uh, what happened in the wedding at Cana in the Bible uh, when uh, the steward, uh, the guests remarked to the steward that the guests usually save the best wine for last. But instead, they sent the best wine out first. Well, I think this is what happened. I think we got the best wine first so that our expectations of night two wouldn't be as damn as they were so overall wrestlemania night one b plus night two c so what am i going to give the average well uh unfortunately the way b plus and c minus situate from each other there's really no way to average it out and i'm kind of soft-hearted so given it all in all i'm going to go ahead and give night two uh night two that c i'm going to give night one the b plus and then i'm going to grade them out i'm going to grade this wrestlemania out to a b minus uh wasn't the best wrestlemania they've ever had certainly had a lot of flaws but it was entertaining and the matches were put together and all the stories that needed to be told as a matter of fact all the stories that needed to be told with the exception of randy orton versus the fiend from the entire weekend and i'm counting uh nxt stand and deliver so i'm, ta- I'm counting from wednesday to sunday every story that needed to be told was told well every idea every concept that was put forward uh, was put forward well. So congratulations. Another WrestleMania in the books and another WrestleMania that is just straight shooting us on to uh, the next full year. So I know you're going to have a lot of backlash coming up with some of the things that fell out from WrestleMania. And we'll talk about that backlash after we get to the news. And again, I'm going to rapid fire the news because uh, this mostly just rapid fire um, ideas uh right just just basically headlines there wasn't really anything um completely uh out of the ordinary but uh before we go on i do want to call your attention to our pro wrestling tees shop that's right we have a shop on pro wrestling and look kids all last week <laughs> last weekend there was a spring fling sale you could have taken advantage of 20 percent off all pro wrestling tees merchandise if you wanted to uh but i'm sure they always have promotions they always have great stuff going on and uh just look at this beautiful merch that you can get you can get the billy alexander franchise takes five podcast t-shirt you could get the heel turn wrestling company logo and you could flex that at your uh earliest convenience at work tomorrow even not tomorrow because it takes the days so i'm not gonna say it's gonna be tomorrow but you know whenever you get it you can flex it uh, you can take a look at Alcoholic Adam's T-shirt. And of course, as I might say, if I might say so myself, the flyest, freshest, hottest, cleanest looking T-shirt on Pro Wrestling Tees. That is the Heel and Face Podcast T-shirt. So take a look. Take a look. If you like what you see, then buy it because that is uh, how we grow the product, how we grow the brand. 
And we really appreciate your support because if it wasn't without you, we couldn't get to 90,000, which is what we're at right now. We're at 90,000 likes or subscriptions. I don't remember which one, but we're at 90,000 something. And the goal is 100,000. And the goal is because of you. So keep going. Keep going to ProWrestlingTees.com and buying our merch. Definitely follow, as you can see in the crawl above me, follow Heel Turn Wrestling at HT Wrestling 316. That's HT Wrestling 316 on Facebook. And you can get links and you can get reminders of all of the lovely programming, not just me breaking in, breaking news throughout the week, but you can also get Billy Alexander, the man, the myth, the legend, the idea, and the franchise takes five and behind the mic with Billy Alexander. You can get... Uh, Multi-Continental Wrestling Association's goodness from Piers Austin. You can watch the Wrestling 2020 show on Sundays. Piers Austin has two shows, Shooting the S, where he talks to everybody on the Australian pro wrestling scene. And he co-hosts a podcast called Killing the Business with Kingpin Angel from ECW. Uh, that show is fire. You should listen to it. And, of course, the new guys, the new kids on the block. That's right. Loganity. Logan Morris, Bruiser from Bruiser Nations, Jason McCarthy, and Travis Knapper. I forget his nickname, but I'll try to remember it. All coming at you like a spider monkey on to the turnbuckle. So check out all of our shows. Don't just check out mine. Check out everybody's show at HG Wrestling 316. That's HG Wrestling 316 on Facebook. All right, let's go. We're just going to go right to the news. And we're going to talk about um, the one thing that... Um, I just can't, I continue not to be able to stand it. And I don't know, I'm not going to say people should not be on Twitter. I'm saying people should not be on Twitter. Um, in the latest installment of wrestlers probably shouldn't be on Twitter. Forlorn, woebegone, angst ridden, problematic female professional wrestler, probably not for very long, unless she can go to AAA and try not to piss anybody off there. Wobegone wrestler Eva Lee has been released from AEW. And if you can read her tweet, it says, History repeats itself. Unfortunately, I speak up about mistreatment and they let me go. That's life. And as you know, there are three things in life water being wet, grass being green, and Eva Lee is a pain in the ass. So it all continues for her. I don't get how people can live their lives by being uh, a complete. Uh, obfuscator, for lack of a better term, just a malcontent, just somebody who's not happy. You think with all the opportunities that she has been given in her life and all of the promotions who sign her or waste their time signing her, you would think that she would try to keep, get the hint and get it together for uh, once. But apparently she's not all about that life. The only life that she is about is about uh, making trouble and uh, being a pain in the tuchus. Um Remember, kids, the first time she... Uh, graced our presence as being a malcontent was when she was training in Florida championship wrestling right around the time that they were converting it into NXT. And they, I believe she was part of the first NXT class. She was also in tough enough. So she got to know everybody's favorite trainer, Bill DeMott. And yes, yes, granted Bill's style of coaching did not necessarily jive with either the students that he was supposed to care for, nor, nor did it really jive for what the management of WWE was going for. Basically, Bill got caught up in a culture clash where the old guard of old school teaching wrestling and passing down the business, how he came up, did not jive with what's happening now in the world and how people are changing their attitudes about uh, professional wrestling or being a professional or what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, again, this, it's a whole other podcast uh, we're not going to hear get here and sit here and complain about um, 
how wrestlers are treated and not treated and how uh, we should re- harken back to the halcyon days of uh, doing coke off the steering wheel while driving 150 miles an hour down some back road in Louisiana to make a town. Uh, the, those days are long gone and they're not necessary anymore. So some of the wrestling training and tactics that were used previously just don't fly anymore for lots of reasons. And some can be good and some can be bad. Uh, there's a lot to say about the modern wrestler anyway, but it's a completely different topic and a completely different podcast for a completely different day. Just know that Bill DeMott was not necessarily the nicest, most amicable person to get along with as a trainer and quite possibly her complaints were the ones that ultimately caused Bill to be let go by WWE as a head trainer. That all being said, this was the first snowflake to hit the first icicle in the wrong way to cause the icicle to start to roll down the hill and become an avalanche for Evelyn. She also was signed by Lucha Underground, who, after a year of being involved with the company, decided not only was she going to leave, but she started suing them. So she had a lawsuit for defamation and a lawsuit against them for her treatment by staff and by trainers and whatnot. And so now you start to think, okay, well, one is a coincidence and two, oh no, one is an accident, two is a coincidence, three is a trend. Now, Ivelisse found herself signed with AEW. And you would think, okay, if there's any company out there that's supposedly wrestler-friendly or talent-friendly, it's got to be AEW, right? Well, what we didn't realize was that she was also continuing her beef with Thunder Rosa, whom she claimed since Lucha Underground has been trying to bury her with management and basically accused Thunder Rosa of sleeping her way to the top. Um, Okay. Um, Haterism, jealousy, whatever it is. uh, It just so happens that Thunder Rosa is extremely more talented in the ring than Ivelisse. So I don't even know why this is a moot point. It got to the point where... Even on AEW Dark, and yes, we all get it, AEW is barely more professional than a uh, backyard company. But uh, they made Ivelisse and Thunder Rosa wrestle, and everybody's seen the gif, everybody's seen the clip on uh, on social media. As soon as she snaps Ivelisse over with a snapmare out of the corner, Ivelisse sits there, doesn't sell, doesn't protect herself. She just fixes her hair. And Thunder Rosa is like putting the most uninspired chin lock from behind. Now, as I remarked on my Twitter page, you know, you could see Thunder Rosa thinking if this wasn't an indie spot show or if this was an indie spot show, I would kick her right in her face. And she still, by all rights, should have probably kicked her in the face. And I know that's old school mentality. We don't believe that kind of thing anymore. But if Ivelisse is out there to completely make Thunder Rosa look like garbage, uh, I mean, it's almost behooving of Thunder Rosa to give her a stiff one. And of course, she also knew that she has a good standing with the company and she didn't want to uh, harm it in any way or make it look unprofessional. So she showed incredible professional restraint against Ivelisse. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, at this point, Ivelisse is kind of up there in age. I don't know if she can go to AAA. Uh, she might be able to because they put up with a lot of dumb stuff down there. But I would say, I would strongly suggest that Ivelisse try another career because if you cannot keep going from major company to major company, accusing talent and agents of conspiring against her when in fact she kind of sucks and she's boring and nobody really likes her anyway as far as a wrestler. So um, goodbye to Ivelisse. Au revoir. We hardly knew ye. Let's get to uh, the next story then real quick. Let's go from uh, a negative to a positive. Former... WWE NXT announcer, beloved on-air talent and combat sports announcer, Mauro Ronaldo will call the Kenny Omega versus Rich Swan match April 25th 
at Impact Rebellion. And this is kind of fun. This is this is something we can all work with. Uh, we're down with this. Uh, I don't know if it's to drum up interest. Uh, I mean, you've you've got my attention now. Um, and maybe it's to give this a big fight feel. Who knows? I mean, good on them. Absolutely good on them for for snagging Morrow uh, in this. Uh, Morrow, this will be his first wrestling call since leaving NXT, and he has been very active in, of course, MMA. Going back to um, Bellator and also calling a couple of a uh, couple of boxing matches, so he hasn't left the planet. And I still wish him continued success on his mental health. I know working for WWE didn't do a whole lot for it, but he seems to be healthy. The only flaw right now in his game is that weird, ridiculous haircut. I'm not even mad that he's dying his hair, but that that, that swoopy uh, side curl it just isn't working. That's the only flaw in Morrow's game right now. Other than that. God bless him and uh, continue to be you, man, because uh, we love you, buddy. And uh, so speaking of people that we love or at least love to see in NXT anyway, and I'm going to get to this so I can do my quick uh, NXT review and then give you the final news story. Take a little break and give you the final news story. Um, I'm going to hip you to this. So we have a brand new talent that came in. And we'll talk about her in a little bit to challenge and to establish herself as part of the women's division. It is, in fact, the former Impact and Triple A champion, Taya Valkyrie. She will be known as Frankie Monet. And the best part about this is she did not go through the WWE NXT name generator. They must have uh, had a hardware upgrade or something. Uh, after renaming MSK, they probably had to uh, reboot the machine or whatever. But the funny thing about this is, is that how dare she pick her own name and pick her own persona? As you can see right there, there is nothing that looks remotely similar to her old gimmicks of Taya Valkyrie. Now, she did mention that she was the Wera Loca still, but as far as Frankie Monet, this is probably just another side personality that she has, kind of a, a another wrinkle in who... Uh, she is, and, and she's got a long French name and I really don't remember in real life, something like Maria Ballet or something like that. I don't know, but, uh, you know, she's been Valkyrie for a while on the Indies. She was Taya Valkyrie in Impact. And now that she's in NXT, she has another facet of her personality that she wants to show how bougie she is. And she is now Frankie Monet and she pretty much shut down Twitter because, uh, even today I saw another tweet from her where she retweeted. Somebody said, Frankie Monet. Uh, WWE sucks. And she said, well, I picked that name. So thanks. So she's made multiple uh, tweets to people saying she picked the name and you know what? It fits. She picked her own name. I know we go too crazy about how the WWE just doesn't let them be themselves. Well, first of all, and thank God I did watch an episode of NXT UK the other day because I was looking forward to seeing, um, uh, uh, Steven Regal's son, uh, I believe he's going by Darren Matthews wrestle. And I'm glad I did because he's a, he's a star. Definitely. But um, he wrestled Tyler Bate, I believe. But I'm glad I watched because there's already a Valkyrie. That's right. We have an Irish Valkyrie. Her name is Aufi. I believe I'm pronouncing her name right. Aufi Valkyrie. And uh, she beats um, uh, another uh, favorite uh, indie uh, worker. And I forget her, but uh, she's amazing too. She was in 
WXW, um, Maria something. Uh, she's a, Her gimmick is she's a mother of three and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, the point I'm trying to make is there's already a Valkyrie in women's wrestling in, NXT, in the NXT brand. Um, don't confuse or conflate the issue. We already have a problem with Adam Cole and Michael Cole. Let's not get everybody crazy about nicknames. Plus, again, it, IRL in real life, Frankie Monet is French-Canadian, so Frankie French... Frank, Francois, whatever, France, whatever. Yeah, that works. And then Monet, okay. Monet was the name of a famous impressionist. Monet, work of art. So she's basically calling herself a French-Canadian work of art. So there you go, internet community. I solved that problem for you. You're welcome. It's fine. She'll be fine. She's got a new wrinkle on her personality where she's very bougie, and uh, it might work. Uh, Maybe, just maybe, she may even... Uh, take over as the number one centerpiece behind the Robert Stone brand because there is a lot of potential. I know you guys are side-eyeing me and you're and you're giving me dirty looks through your computer right now, but uh, yeah, she is. Uh, uh, she could be part of the Robert Stone brand because there's a lot of potential in the Robert Stone brand. So um, that's how she wants to be named. So leave her alone. Let her live. Now, speaking of Taya Valkyrie in NXT, uh, let's go ahead and. Start talking about NXT then, shall we? We shall. Um, I think, again, out of the fallout of all of the shows, um, NXT did a nice job with uh, like reestablishing, resetting, and uh, moving forward. Now they've got a new crop of uh, things that they're going to do. They've got a new crop of uh, angles to run through. and they, they But they also continued some in really fun ways, including – uh, this, uh, this, this, this episode. So I'm stalling a little bit for time because I'm trying to fix something. I did not, unfortunately, uh, fix it, but, uh, that's cool. We'll just go with it. So the beginning of the night starts with the new champ, Killer Cross, establishing himself as the guy in NXT as the dude. And it wasn't his strongest, uh, promo that he ever cut. Um, but he did end it well. He came back around. Uh, he talked about his training and he talked about how hard he worked and all that. But then he, he went on and talked about how unstoppable he is. And meanwhile, uh, Scarlet coquettishly fawning all over him. Um, he also said that he was going to rule ruthlessly his ruthless rule of the brand and kind of left it at that. So I'm really curious to see all of, uh, the, uh, competitors that are going to challenge him. In the future, he did put Finn Balor over with a tenacious bout. There's rumors that Finn's going to go to the SmackDown brand now. No, no, keep Finn there. The last time he went to Raw, he got injured, and then they completely blew his character. So um, who knows? Maybe it'll cycle back. Maybe they'll cross paths again. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, next, this was the promise match of winning the tag team gauntlet. So uh, Killian, Dane, and... Drake Maverick got the opportunity to fight the NXT champions MX, MSK. And this was scary good match. I was a little, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised at how well this match went together. Uh, I didn't expect it to, uh, you know, MSK still has to constantly kind of prove themselves. Um, and again, I'm a mark for the tag team that doesn't get along, whether it's uh, Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler, or it's Drake and, Killian Dane, two opposite personalities coming together. Um, but they did a lot of that. They did a lot of that uh, goofy double teaming stuff. Uh, it actually worked a lot for Drake and uh, Matt, uh, and Dane to, to do. Um, 
just fire offense, complete uh, insanity from MSK. Uh, there was a little mini botch in the match that still looked like uh, that they, they recovered it well, so it looked like they knew it was doing it. It lent a little bit of, hey, this is real athleticism. Uh, uh, Wesley, again, as I've been saying on Twitter, is the Leo Rush that we deserve. And uh, Nash Carter's uh, the standing moonsault that uh, Wesley pushes him into, just so awesome. Um, in the end, they got they put him in the uh, the blockbuster, the Jack move. Um, I don't know if they call it the Jack move. I don't know. I remember. I'm old enough to remember when Harlem Heat was calling it the Jack move, and I guess they weren't allowed to do it for a while. But uh, anyway, maybe that's an homage to the to, to Harlem Heat. I don't know, but it worked. And Nash and uh, Wes. Uh, took off with the belts and afterward Dane and Alexander or Dane and uh, Drake are kind of just, you know, sitting there taking the pin all of a sudden uh, Alexander Wolf shows up and eyes Dane. And then Dane proceeded to get jumped by Imperium. And there's the final shot of all three members of Imperium standing there as Dane and Drake kind of lie there. I would like to think that they are building something towards this. I'd like to think that they are sowing the seeds that uh, Dane is going to turn and join Imperium. That would be great, uh, especially to turn on Drake. And I hate the fact that they're turning on poor Drake Maverick, but it's kind of, if it's meant to be, let it be, baby, just let it be. So that's happening. Um, maybe Drake could be like a lackey. Maybe he could be the mouthpiece for Imperium. I don't know. I would like to see some type of brainwashing, some type of, uh, some type of Stockholm syndrome where they beat up Drake and uh, Dane long enough to where Dane comes full uh, Imperium member. And then uh, uh, Drake Maverick can be like the, the, the Trotskyite mouthpiece, you know, screaming in everyone's ear. Uh, I think that would be a great addition in a way to freshen up both Dane and Drake Maverick. Uh, Mercedes Martinez making her presence felt again, uh, this time confronting Robert Stone on why she hasn't been paid since the last time that uh, she contracted out with him. Meanwhile, uh, Robert Stone was flossing some uh, $2,500 diamond-encrusted gloves, to which Mercedes uh, grabbed him, snatched him up, and, and challenged him on it, um, which caused Aaliyah to run in fear. So Jesse Kamea, of all people, stepped up to her and got worked. Um, I'm not 100% sold on Jesse Kamea. I'm not really a huge fan of hers. She didn't really interest me. And by that manner, not Aaliyah either. And who knows where Vanessa Bourne is? I heard she was injured. Who knows? Uh, Vanessa Bourne, uh, just ridiculously good looking by the way but anyway mercedes martinez just came and just it was an ex, it was almost an extended squash uh jesse kamea got a big kick in uh but uh mercedes took it over it was it was not long of a match and then put her in an air raid crash and won then uh, martinez proceeded to go after robert stone slamming him up against the barricade again uh and basically she demanded to be paid and then as she was leaving she screamed in the microphone that uh, Gonzalez, don't think I forgot about you. You're next and walked off. So look out. Uh, there's no question that the NXT women's division is the top flight women's division in the entire wrestling world. Don't at me. It's the truth. It's probably better than it's what well, I'm going to say. Just, just going to say it's better than shimmer and shine. Yeah. And I'm going to make a couple of you mad out there. Seeing as though I don't generally take a serious serious look at shine and shimmer but i'm telling you who's going to beat this division right now and most of the wrestlers that make up the nxt women's division are from shimmer and shine anyway so um i guess maybe i kind of uh proved my own point but in a backhanded way but uh, be that as it may going on to the next match 
which was a pleasant surprise. And uh, because Kushida was not wearing his time splitter gear, that he was actually wearing trunks, I knew the jig was up. Uh, this was really a uh, this is weird booking, but I'm okay with it uh, because I don't think they want to make the same mistake that they made with uh, Hideo Itami, uh, now going back known as uh, Kenta or Lil K, if you check his Twitter account. But Kushida defeated Santos Escobar for the Cruiserweight Championship. Escobar feeling himself, put out an open challenge, said that uh, he proved that he's the best cruiserweight in the world because he sent Jordan Devlin packing. And uh, as that happened, uh, Kushida took umbrage, came out. Um, just It was a fast match. Of course, Kushida's one of the fastest wrestlers on the planet. He's the fastest wrestler I've ever seen. And, uh, uh, you know, Escobar took control at some point, smashing Kushida's face in the steps. Um, uh, got him in a bunch of locks. He put him in the uh, Kimura suplex. He also did the rolling uh, hoverboard lock. Um, that didn't work. Escobar was able to get out of it. A couple of um, penny combinations and maneuvers later, and Kushida got the pin, and that was huge. And uh, even they even sent uh, the rest of Legado de Fantasma out to the locker room, and it was just a one-on-one. So it was a straight-up one-on-one match. If there was more time, they should have given these guys more time, but I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Uh, I'm not a fan of like you spent all that time building up Escobar to have him lose to Kushida. I understand why they did it. They did it because they didn't want to waste time with Kushida and have another Kenta situation. They want to keep Kushida happy. They want to keep the Japanese wrestlers happy because they want them to have success. So they don't want to ruin any relations. The last thing they want, because Japanese wrestlers and Japanese media give less care less wits than american wrestlers do um doesn't want kushida basically going back to new japan saying wwe sucks the the next as i mentioned uh raquel gonzalez comes out and she's thankful and humble because that's what heels are supposed to be and i do agree with people saying well if you're a heel you're a badass why are you going out there crying and and, and thanking everybody so i guess raquel gonzalez is no longer a uh a, a face uh, or a heel i believe she is a face now i guess randomly and she thanked Dakota Kai, which was really nice. And she thanked everybody else in her life. That was really nice. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, Frankie Monet makes her way out. The new uh, personality of the former Taya Valkyrie. And she comes out and declares that this is her division. That she is still the uh, La Huera Loca. And uh, she's talking, she's, she called her a cabrona. Uh, pretty funny. Uh, and then actually uh, Raquel Gonzalez came back and said uh uh you better watch your mouth or i'm gonna shove this championship straight up your or no i'm gonna shove that little doggy of yours right up your culo <laughs> oh yeah see kids it pays to be bilingual you should learn other languages don't just learn english even though it seems like i can barely speak it at times myself you should learn english anyway or you should learn spanish or another language anyway as i'm rambling on that segment happened and then rhea ripley hits uh the ring the freshly minted wwe raw women's champion she comes in and uh of course they have the buddy moment right the oh what are you trying to do here and then they did the cheers with the belts that was cute and then the est the feel-good story of the entire week probably of the entire year uh bianca belair came in and she flexed her title along with the other two titles and then of course they showed the cute graphic of the three of them in their nxt pose and then they showed them back and standing next to each other's champions. And that was kind of a really nice feel-good uh, moment. Uh, real quick, uh, not to belittle the moment because that was a good one. Speaking of uh, other uh, women's wrestlers and feel-good moments, so Zoe Stark was feeling very positive even though she lost to uh, Gonzalez last week. She's feeling really positive about her momentum 
in the company of the fact that she beat Tony Storm, one of the best women's wrestlers in NXT, and was bragging about that and really feeling it. And I really get a good positive vibe from Zoe Stark. So um, I'm digging her gimmick. I'm digging her look. I'm digging everything. And then in walks Mercedes Martinez talking uh, crap about, hey, you are a, a rookie. And I don't know who you think you are walking in here, but if you want to try something, go ahead. Uh, I'm Mercedes Martinez, and I'm here to uh, – take my belt and I'm not trying to worry about you. So I uh, will definitely look forward to Zoe Stark versus Mercedes Martinez. I don't want Zoe Stark to job out necessarily because I don't want her to lose her momentum and her steam. I know a lot of fans like her. I dig her. Everybody digs her. And you don't want her to be in that continuous burials position. Uh, Although what would put both of them over is if they have like a two on a three, like a rubber match, like go back and forth for a couple of, couple of weeks and see who comes out on top. I would be all for that. But Got to be real careful here because you don't want Mercedes Martinez looking soft and you don't want your newcomer, your big baby face, Zoe Stark looking soft either. Speaking of people who are looking soft and not strong, there was a little vignette in the back where apparently Roderick Strong handed in his resignation and it was some kind of angle with him and his wife, Maria Shafir. Uh, You know, um, uh, Regal took it with great reluctance. Uh, It's never good when people resign, he said, but... Uh, you're always welcome. The door is always open in NXT. So I'd like to see where this goes. Um, if they want to try to rebuild and rebrand Roderick Strong as the feel-good underdog like they first did when he first came to NXT, that might work if he was on the blue brand. But honestly, we all know whatever Roddy's going to do, um, he's just going to be uh, fodder for the uh, for the other talent. He's just, at this point, enhancement talent. And, you know, he is what he is. Then they made the announcement that uh, Saray, uh the, the Warrior of the Sun is now making her uh, debut on NXT next week. So that's another thing to look forward to. And uh, again, trying to dig at AEW because I want to because it's my show. But uh, AEW has Riho and Maki Ito and, and uh, Hiroku Shida. And uh, WWE NXT has uh, Io Shirai. And now they have uh, Saray and... Uh, you know, uh, that is all the difference for me. Um, next, extremely interesting, uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott versus Leon Ruff. And uh, I like the fact that this is just getting warmed up. I mean, they pretty much just pulled out all the moves, all the stops, and they pretty much just murdered each other. And I dug it. I was there for it, completely there for it. Um, uh, unfortunately, Leon Ruff eats the JML driver uh, after uh, taking a lot of punishment. Uh, and, uh, and in the back, uh, you know, Swerve um, said, I'm not trying to worry about him anymore. All of a sudden, bam, Leon Ruff hits him uh, during the interview, pushes him up against the locker room, and then rams a uh, case into his head and says, this ain't over. Uh, this is over when I say it's over. And then he uh, he he uh, left uh, a swerve in a pile. So um, then I think the best part of the night was Bronson Reed, Dexter Loomis, Shotzi Blackheart, and Ember Moon versus The Way in an eight-person mixed tag match. Um, if you're going to do comedy wrestling, do comedy wrestling right. And the way you do comedy wrestling right is by doing what WWE does. From Cameron Grimes to The Way, it's never stupid. There's always some fun involved. There's always a hint of something involved there. Again, all of the stories were told. Um, uh, Bronson Reed still kind of reestablished in the uh, North American title picture. So you'll probably see him and Johnny Gargano go at it in a match and not just because it's a match right after he wrestled the main gauntlet. I think they're really looking to push Bronson Reed seriously and they 
uh, are going to do it, hopefully, by having him win the uh, North American belt uh, very soon. Um, Stockholm Syndrome with Dexter Lewis, both, uh, Loomis, both with uh, Austin Theory and uh, Indy Hartwell, completely hilarious. Um, to the point where uh, all of the stories kind of interwove, like, don't stand over here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Austin Theory's kind of goofy. He didn't really want to fight Dexter Loomis because he kind of considered Loomis a friend. Um, uh, Johnny Gargano trying to... Johnny Gargano being literally the worst cult leader in the history of mankind because he, he has almost literally no control over what's going on with the way. Uh, so just all of it just works. All of it makes sense. It's all fun. Uh, there were uh, some good spots too. Uh, I don't know why we continue the pretense of mixed wrestling. Like like uh, women can't fight men, men can't fight women. Just say, hey, this is an intergender match. Men and women can interact with each other. Uh, if you just keep it a mixed tag, you're just kind of adding a level to it. Um, unless the finish is going to be where a man can't pin a woman or a woman can't pin a man. Other than that, you just might as well make it intergender because they all interact with each other anyway. Uh, at some point, they were on the ground, and uh, uh, Candice LeRae gave a diving uh, DDT to Dexter Loomis that she almost completely missed uh, and fell off of. Uh, but the best part was as they were down there in the, the big lucha spot, the only two wrestlers in the ring left were Shotzi and uh, Bronson Reed. And Bronson Reed had just thrown, I believe he just thrown Austin Theory out or something like that. And, and they were all standing there. And Shotzi was like, use me, use me. Bronson picks her up. Gorilla pisses her over. And she's loving life. He launches her into the big lucha spot. And uh, Amber Moon took more brunt than the whole entire way anyway. I thought that was pretty hilarious. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. And again, the whole thing ends with Indy Hartwell making her way back into the ring. She's tagged in as an intergender. So she's kind of, you know, she's really the legal person and she gets, she gets in there, but she's trying to get Dexter Loomis's attention. So she, she's lying there like, okay, I'm legal. Tag me. <laughs> so Dexter Loomis crawls off Boston theory and goes over and, and, and he tries to pin her, but Johnny Gargano interferes and, and, and she's, she has a temper tantrum. So she gets up and does the same thing. And as soon as Dexter Loomis, no, I, I messed up. Sorry. The, as soon as the first time when Dexter Loomis tried to uh, try to get the pin or whatever, she was reaching up. She wanted to give him a kiss. And then, and then the second time, so the second time she throws the tantrum, goes down, lies down for Dexter Loomis to pin her. And uh, he, in fact, like sneaks out, slips out the back and stares at her, then like picks her up and carries her off. And as she's walking out, he's like, oh, and then she looks up, looks at, looks at the rest of the wrestlers and goes, ah, right. <laughs> oh that's good stuff that's good stuff oh yeah and then austin theory eats the pin by taking the tsunami from uh bronson reed from the top rope but the whole thing just worked and again if you're gonna do comedy wrestling then do it right and do it the way the wwe does it so um whew, that's a lot i only have a little bit more left to go uh, i'm gonna do a very quick rundown of raw for you and go with the last final huge uh news worthy outlet uh just a quick overview of it before i go to raw and uh then uh we'll be back uh you know in a few seconds so just sit tight please see you in about five seconds all right so we are back and i do want to address the final topic in depth Black Thursday has struck again, as you can see in the graphic, and I'm sure you've been following Heel Turn Wrestling and you've been following us uh, along in, uh, you know, at our uh, websites, at our podcast pages and stuff. 
so you guys already know probably as much as, as, as we do about the situation, but unfortunately, uh, Black Thursday struck as some people pointed out to the day, literally to the day, as it did last year. So um, just infuriating uh, news coming from uh, the WWE today that really has to be addressed at some point by us. And I'm sure all of us will get to it. And I was just tapped and blessed to be that guy to talk about it tonight. And of course, as you know, it's me, big old Stevie C here talking pro wrestling with you with a special edition of the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by heel turn wrestling um i really wish i didn't have to come to you right now because honestly this is just going to be raw i'm just going to be like out of the top of my head i didn't plan on you know me I, I try to hype up the graphics i try to make this look professional i try to be a professional as much as i can um while doing this podcast and trying to keep it fun at the same time but i realized like like even with this breaking news even what's going on right now um this this kind of needs to be addressed and i think we want to try to get uh on it uh while we can and uh on top of that uh you know we just also want to put it out there for the discussion. Uh, just uh, want to let you guys know, I'm not really looking to hashtag anything, right? I'm not trying to uh, join a movement here. I'm just here to kind of help process everything that's going on with, uh, of course, Black Thursday. And again, like I said, the uh, hashtags are already out there. If you go on social media, you go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, you go on everywhere uh, in social media, you'll find the hashtags. It's not hard. Uh, but uh, we're at least going to start up some of the conversation and just address uh, the ridiculousness of Black Thursday and the unfortunate WWE superstars that were just future endeavored. And not only will I address how terrible and to borrow a phrase from the two, the turnbuckle guys, egregious this all is, uh, I'm also going to uh, go in, so to speak, on uh, one of the guys they brought back to the company who is the guy who was known to be the hatchet man, uh, the funk man, the dynamic dude himself, uh, Johnny Ace. And uh, we'll address him a little bit uh, after I uh, go through all the people who were unfortunately let go. So again, you guys have been up to date on this. You guys know the players, you know the ones that were involved, but you could definitely uh, join the conversation with us at Heel Turn Wrestling. So I'm just gonna go ahead and pull our post from uh, uh, Alcoholic Adam, who does a fantastic job keeping up on current events and putting together memes and other uh, graphics for uh, heel turn wrestling. So let's just let's just go to it, shall we? Let's just look at it. So uh, you can see clearly right there, we ask the legit question, which is how many times is the WWE going to drop the ball uh, when it comes to so many talented individuals? I mean... You can comment below, please comment below, either on my page or on uh, Heel Turn Wrestling's page about where you think they're all going to end up. Um, I don't know if I want to even uh, speculate as to where uh, any of them will end up because, uh, you know, it could be a, a multitude of places. And I know the easiest and uh, cheapest answer is to say AEW right now. And for some reasons, for some of them, that might be great. For some of them, uh, the reasons uh, might not be so great. Uh, but if you look at that list there, just look at the, the pictures alone. Each one has a interesting and individual uh, reaction we can have. So as you see, uh, top left corner, you see a picture of one of the greatest tag teams. Let's put it out there. One of the greatest, if not at least the greatest women's tag team that the WWE's had in recent years, practically since the 80s, uh, with... Uh, the jumping bomb angels, or uh, I would even say uh, Wendy Richter and Velvet McIntyre or, or whomever. Um, 
Billy, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce have been a future endeavored. You see uh, middle left, Mickey James. You see middle right, Kaliso. You see far right, Samoa Joe, and I am as angry as he is in this picture. Bottom left, you see Chelsea Green, who has uh, been bitten by the injury bug. Uh, middle bottom left is Tucker. Uh, middle bottom right is Bo Dallas. And um, far bottom right is Wesley Blake. So those round out the nine individuals who were part of the unfortunate uh, bloodletting, the unfortunate acts, the future endeavor acts from WWE. Now, we'll go back and forth uh, to this uh, picture. And again, you know me, I would have graphics up and I'd have their names individually and their and their accomplishments and all that stuff. But since this just broke, uh, there's really nothing else to talk about. Like as far as like me putting graphics up, because again, you guys know a lot of this stuff too, but what it needs is it needs time to process and it needs time to get this all straightened out, get this all figured out. And uh, overall, I don't know when I've been this angry about a future endeavoring. I mean, even the last one, um, I mean, it wasn't great. I, I know it involved uh, uh, the late Brody Lee. Uh, there was a lot of um, people in there too who, you know, rightfully so, really didn't deserve to be let go, like uh, Gallows and Anderson, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I understand many people are going to make an argument that a lot of these people, a lot of these wrestlers really weren't being used or whatever. So I really feel like that this is something that needs to go and be scrutinized under an individual case-by-case -case basis. And uh, it's not going to look good for WWE. I, I, I would like to think maybe they're listening. Maybe they're not listening. They're probably not listening. I know we're just doing this for the fans because that's what my podcast, Heel and Face and Heel Turn Wrestling are. We're for the fans. We could really care less what companies uh, like us and don't. But I wonder, I just happen to wonder if somehow this will get out to somebody you know, through the uh, ether, through the internet wrestling community and, and, and whatever, but we're about to go in really hard on this. So if you take a look, let's, let's just go, let's just go around the horn. Shall we? Let's just stop or start with the top left corner and we'll just kind of uh, go around in a circle. I may hold Samoa Joe for the absolute last though, but we'll start with, uh, we'll start with the iconics. We'll start with Peyton Royce and Billy Kay. So pretty much everyone knows that, uh, Madison Eagles is the godmother of modern uh, professional wrestling and her uh, her dojo or her training camp or whatever she's doing down there in Australia. Shout out to everybody down there. Shout out to our boys uh, down in Australia, Pierce Austin and uh, uh, and um, Multicontinental Wrestling. Um, we know that she is the only pretty much her and uh, Mako uh, Sarayama are the only two that are putting really good females into uh, the market as far as pro wrestlers. Now Eagles uh, is, you know, going through her dojo and uh, they hired WWE hired Mako to be the head trainer for women in uh, NXT, NXT UK. So uh, that should uh, speak to how good they are and how they're valued. And of course, Eagles' resume speaks volumes because how many people, how many women's wrestlers has she put in just in the WWE alone? Okay, we're talking about Peyton Royce, Billy Kay. We're talking about Indy Hartwell. We're talking about uh, even Tony Storm at some point had finished off there. Rhea Ripley, all of these female wrestlers that are coming from Australia right now are direct descendants of Madison Eagles. And they're not coming with no skill at all. They're coming as legit great workers, good personality, solid on the mic. They can't do anything wrong. And so Vince decides, well, since they're the two hottest female wrestlers or whatever, that they're just going to go ahead and snap them up. 
pretty much sight unseen, probably. Now, I want to think that Triple H did do a little bit of his homework and saw that these two were available, uh, especially when they came to the United States to kind of work the indie scenes and all that stuff. But for them to come together, to leave everything behind, to fly halfway across the world, just to get a little bit of exposure, and then to basically be used like trash, they could have become huge, huge stars in Australia. They could have become huge stars in New Zealand. They could have become huge stars in uh, Japan if they would have gone uh, the Joshi route. And yet, you know, they chose WWE because their style actually does benefit American style wrestling uh, the best. And they literally do nothing wrong. There's nothing that they did. I, I challenge you guys out there to tell me one thing that Peyton Royce and Billy Kay did completely wrong. Um, and when they combined their superpowers and their Wonder Twin powers were activated and they were a tag team and they were the Iconics, we all went, Vince has got to be printing money off of these two ladies, right? I mean, they're the perfect tag team. They complement each other well. They're hilarious. Billy Kay should probably try stand-up if she is going to go anywhere after this uh, because she is ridiculously hilarious. She could be a, com a comedic actress uh, in Hollywood right now if she wanted to. Um, Peyton Royce is fantastic. Uh, they're, they, and I'll get back track in just a second. As an aside, I'm fully under the, uh, I'm fully uh, under the belief that Peyton Royce cutting that power bomb, or I'm sorry, power bomb, cutting that uh, pipe bomb interview live uh, probably sealed her fate. And uh, they're just probably sending a message saying that we can't have uh, any more wrestlers uh, cutting promos on us ever again, a la CM Punk. So that probably didn't do her any favors. The fact is, is that they created the tag belts way too late. And not only that, they gave up. They gave up on something that they created. Listen for that theme, you guys. Listen for the theme. This is the theme of the rest of my rant here. They created these stars. They created Peyton Royce and Billy Kay. Not necessarily like in their own personalities and whatnot. They kind of came with that. But they created the tag team. They created the Iconics. The WWE pushed them in that direction and told them to fly, but didn't give them anything to do. They didn't give them a serious tag belt run. It's almost like the WWE just made the belts just because they felt bad for the Iconics and gave it to them. Because, you know, the WWE barely keeps their own tag belts the men's tag belt situation seriously. They're definitely not going to uh, take the Iconics seriously. And of course, we as the fans love them. So WWE can't have us uh, loving something that they created. Of course not. They're going to get rid of that. So unfortunately, the Iconics were the first to go. And uh, I, you guys are understandably upset because I know I'm upset about it. Because uh, And I'm going to get back to this theme of you created these stars and now you're just letting them go. Um, next, let's get to... Uh, Mickey James um, don't understand 100% why Mickey James was brought back uh, when she was. I know that they were wanting more of a uh, professional talent presence. They wanted a veteran presence in the female locker room uh, for some reason, even though it seems like WWE's women's division is fine as it is since the majority of it's booked by uh, TJ Wilson and uh, Pat Buck. Anyway, uh, they're doing a fantastic job with the women's division. So I don't know why they necessarily felt like they needed a, a, a veteran presence, especially when they weren't going to do anything with her. And of course, as a six-time champ, you know, so, uh, you know, here's what Vince does, what he does. The reason why that you started seeing 
Mickey James Moore on pre-shows and Mickey James Moore at NXT is because they wanted to give her something to do before uh, they, you know, let her go. Like, a, hey, thank you, but, you know, your service is no longer needed. Uh, Mickey James is a valuable asset and potentially did have w at least one or two more runs as whatever women's champion. Um, I know that uh, she was the Divas champion multiple times. Uh, it would have been nice for her to actually not have end her career without the stigma of being a quote unquote diva. Uh, they could have given her at least the raw women's belt. They could have built a, an amazing story when they had the story of Mickey James earning the right to face Oscar. They had a classic seasoned war veteran story underdog against the unstoppable champion that they could have built up by now. And I'm going to go ahead and live in an alternate universe where that actually did happen. And Mickey James did take the belt from Oscar at WrestleMania. So uh, I just fantasy book something in an alternate universe a la DC comics. I realized that Mickey James deserved better. And is this really worth like making sure the nanny's there? So uh, your, uh, your child could be at home, you know, while your husband's killing it in NWA doing his thing. Uh, I know the drive wasn't very far from North Carolina, wherever it is they uh, they live. But you know, was it worth it, especially to give a lackluster job to a six-time champion? Um, so I do feel badly for Mickey James in that respect. I think her legacy, unfortunately, with WWE is going to go out with a whimper instead of a bang that we all like. And uh, I think it would be great to see Mickey James sign with NWA and uh, hold the NWA women's belt kind of as a complete 360 type of deal. If I'm not mistaken, uh, when she was Alexa LaRue, if I'm not mistaken, she was NWA Southern Women's Champion or uh, NWA Wildside. I, I, I need you fact checkers out there to check my knowledge for me. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, as she was coming up as a rookie or as she was coming up in the business, she did stop in NWA and she was a champion, a women's champion of one of the belts. I'm not sure, but I need you guys out there to help me out with that. So there's that. So um, moving on from one person who oddly enough got a chance to a second person who oddly got another chance was Kalisto. And again, why bring him back to let him go again? And not only that, they fired him twice within the last year. Am I not correct? I think he was part of the, the, the list last year um, and randomly brought back. So a lot of things going on here. One is that, uh, again, just like everything else that WWE does, the Lucha House Party and the Lucha Doors were criminally underused because Vince doesn't get the market. And as much as Vince and the WWE understood how much they needed Bad Bunny and how well he did, when you go to the other side of the uh, uh, Latino and Hispanic market that they're so coveting so hard, and you drop the ball on three super talented Luchadors like uh, Grand Metalik and uh, Lince Dorado, and Kalisto. I mean, what do you expect? So Kalisto talks some crap a little bit and he was wrestling in the independence in, in Mexico for a little bit. And then magically for some reason he came back uh, and he started doing something positive. Then they turned him heel because they didn't have anything for him to do because, you know, of course we don't have anything for them to do. Uh, you turn him heel. Um, then Kalisto kind of turned face and then kind of left. So um, yeah, uh, I'm not saying a mistake. You make your money where you can. Uh, I don't think Kalisto will ever be back in the WWE. Uh, he's probably going to be better served trying out the New Japan Dojo uh, in uh, in Los Angeles or probably going to just 
do his thing on the independence, man. Do his thing on the independence. Go down to Puerto Rico. Go down to Mexico. Be a star there. Uh, come up with a new gimmick. Go back to being a samurai de soul and uh, just kill it, man. I mean, I would if I was him. Uh, not much more to say about Kalisto. I don't really have an opinion other than he's super athletic and uh, he, he his his promos weren't great, but he wasn't terrible. So uh, you could have worked around that if you wanted to. WWE did not want to. And uh, I would not be surprised if we also see uh, Grand Metal League and uh, Lindsay Dorado. Lindsay, who has also hinted at not wanting to be around WWE anymore. Uh, very cryptic tweets a while ago, and I think he got rid of them. But something effective, you know, when you're not happy, you should do something. Kind of like the same thing that happened to uh, El Idolo. Uh, uh, he's no longer Andrade, or at least he is Andrade on Twitter, but I don't know if he went back to La Sombra or not. But um, another guy who wasn't being used right and wasn't happy, uh, you know, Lindsay said some kind of similar things in a tweet. And I don't know. You could have interpreted it either way. So that's what Vince thinks about Mexican wrestlers, luchadors, etc. And that's what he thinks about the Hispanic culture. He just wants somebody that's going to make him money, uh, just like... Uh, uh, Pedro Gonzalez, Tito Santana, and other people did in the past. So, um, next, and again, we're going to skip some more jokes. I'm going to save the uh, best for last. So, Chelsea Green, you may know her or remember her as Laurel Van Ness or quote unquote Laurel Van Mess in Impact. This is kind of a casualty of war. I don't think there's too much bad about this. It's really not her fault. Uh, she's a fantastic wrestler. She just got bit by the injury bug. Somebody on Twitter compared her to Derrick Rose, saying she's like the Derrick Rose of professional wrestling. And if you get that reference, then shout out. Um, just really injury prone, but a fantastic athlete. Was able to bounce back quickly. But it's you know it's hard because as soon as you're in, you're out. And it's really hard to establish yourself as a character. So I think this was kind of a mutual thing. I don't know if it necessarily was a great loss, but even in her Instagram she did point out that it was really no, it was no, no big loss for her. Nothing lost, nothing gained. It's not like she's going to get on uh, uh, the, uh, the, her boyfriend's podcast and, uh, you know, act out her aggressions on uh, WWE characters on his wrestling collectors podcast or anything like that. Uh, it's just, she said something to the effect of uh, I proved that I could do it and I'm happy that I did it and it was something that I did and I proved it to myself that not only could I make it to uh, the WWE I could make it to NXT and I could make it to the, the the brand and show the people that I'm worth it and you know not everybody's story has the same ending so I thought that was not only really mature but really like a screwed on uh, type of uh, self-awareness of it uh, because you know for every Chelsea Green who's going to put that on her social media uh, about five or six of these wrestlers are going to uh, go completely nuts, which is something the next guy has already alluded that he would do. And he is already getting offers from the rest of us in the internet wrestling community. I'm, not me. I haven't hit him up on his Twitter account yet, but he has hinted on his Twitter account that he will be telling the, his side of the story very soon. And that, in fact, is Tucker, Tucky, whatever you want to call him, formerly of Heavy Machinery, who was released uh, unceremoniously as well. Again, this is a guy who was athletic enough. He was a good big man. Uh, his career was over in the NFL. 
didn't want to be a practice squad guy, didn't want to be a CFL or Johnny Manziel football kind of guy. Uh, he recognized enough was enough, and he took a tryout from the WWE, and what do you know, he made it. So he works and busts his butt, and he does his thing in the ring, and he impresses people, and people are like, we don't know what we got, but we got somebody really great here. And then they put him with Otis, and they put him in a cheesy 80s gimmick. And guess what? It worked! That was the downfall of Otis and Tucker right there, heavy machinery working. The simple fact that it worked despite probably whoever came up with it, just kind of half-heartedly throwing it out there and giving them an opportunity to do it, uh, probably uh, doomed them because uh, they got it over. That's right, kids, because when WWE and Vince McMahon tell you that you need to develop your character, you need to live in the square, you need to take your personality and turn it up to 10 and you need to do all these things and grab the brass ring and blah, 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 and jump through the hoops and do whatever you need to do and uh, do a top rope moonsault at Survivor Series and all that kind of stuff. And you do everything they say and they still do nothing with you. That's got to be the most frustrating thing that anyone would ever experience at their job, let alone as a professional wrestler, because, you know, we're all humans and humans have goals. And once you set a goal or once you set a plan in place for a human to follow and they follow it, there should be a reward, right? Because this is an intrinsic and extrinsic society that we live in. We live by rewards. We live by accomplishments. We live by goals. We live by uh, the things that we achieve in life. Everybody's way to do that or way it makes them feel happy is completely different. But know that that structure is out there. Humans like to achieve. They like to gain things. They like to build up. They like to work on themselves and be good. And that is all that Tucker did. That's all he did was just work at his craft. Got better every day. There were uh, multiple people saying that he was really uh, coming along quickly in the uh, performance center. And then you put him with uh, Otis, who is another guy who's larger than life, literally, and uh, over the top. So what do you do? You put a goofy uh, gimmick on him and let him go. And they get it over. See, they were not expected to get over at all. They weren't. They, clearly they weren't. Because the worse you make something and the more you're good at it, once it's done tickling Vince's fancy, he's done with it. Like Kurgan, that poor guy, you uh, he got a little bit tipsy in front of Vince one night with the boys. Vince showed him he could dance. He went from being a uh, quasi-racist paramilitary uh, thug wanting world control and world domination to a guy holding a South Park doll, wearing Zubas and uh, dancing in the ring with uh, Insane Clown Posse. When Vince has an idea about you and it's stupid, you don't want to tell him it's stupid. You have to go through with it anyway. And you still get it over and they still don't want you. That is a mind-screwing experience that no one should ever experience and uh tucker was a victim of it and i'm sure he's probably going to say a lot of the same things whoever gets the privilege of having him as a guest on their podcast first he's definitely um going to uh put forth i'm sure some of that uh as part of his experience because again what's the theme kids they train them they're the ones that trained them ww is the one that made them look a certain way talk a certain way work in the ring a certain way they train them to be who they are. They have an obligation to try to make it work, okay? Somebody who, oh, well, let's go back to that then. Because somebody who they completely gave up on uh, after throwing ridiculous gimmick after ridiculous gimmick after was Bo Dallas. Finally, 
Uh, he's getting his release part of this too. Uh, again, really weird, really awkward. You know, being third generation wrestler, being a guy who's a brother with, um, well, quite frankly, a, a, he's the brother of Bray Wyatt, and everybody knows that. And it's the, one of WWE's worst kept secrets. They haven't leaned into it, but they could have done it. They could have revived Bo Dallas. And honestly, there was a lot of scuttlebutt on the internet talking about he could have been that thinner, skinnier fiend. And who knows, he may have ended up being that. And we may have all called it. Uh, but just a simple fact that uh, they gave him just dumb gimmicks like Believe. Uh, they tried to do the tag team with uh, uh, Axel, Curtis Axel. Um, and that didn't work. Um, you know, they gave him like the cool, weird rock star thing. That didn't work. And yet he continued to collect a paycheck. So on top, on that side of it, it's it's it, it works for him. But the other side of it, as far as pride, as far as family history and family pride, as far as the love-hate relationship that Vince may or may not have with uh, the Lanzas and the Rotundas, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, again, being awkward that your brother is still kind of a major player in the plans of the WWE, but you're on the outs, um, probably made the environment a little bit more awkward for him. But... Uh, I also just read before I got on that he also has a ton of uh, organic businesses. Apparently he has uh, businesses, you know, in new energy and clean energy. He runs a lot of things out of his uh, farm that, you know, are eco-friendly and uh, reducing the carbon footprint on the planet. So, I mean, it just might be a thing where, you know, Vince basically just paid for some guy to establish his own companies and, and become a, a business. So, I mean, why not? I mean, it worked for Midian, right? You know, remember Midian, uh, you know, took the last couple, two or three of his paychecks and figured out how to start a catering business. So, you know, good for Bo Dallas. It doesn't seem like wrestling is a hundred percent his thing that he wants to do. I mean, I can't predict people's minds. That's why I'm not really predicting where these wrestlers are going to go because it could be anywhere. You know, they could leave the business altogether. You know, what would stop Chelsea green from just leaving the business completely and just being, you know, Matt Cardona's girlfriend or fiance or whatever. What would stop uh, Tucker for just going back home, reassessing his life, starting a business and becoming a football coach, nothing, you know? Uh, so, uh, the fact that, you know, they may still want to pursue their wrestling dreams or that fact that Vince McMahon or the WWE environment hasn't completely killed them of their dreams uh, is probably should be uh, a miracle enough as it is. And the fact that uh, any of the rotundas want to still wrestle, especially for Vince McMahon um, at this point, is probably a testament to how they are. And also just a nod while we're on the subject of the rotundas, while we're on the subject of O'Dallis, uh, the simple fact that. Uh, not only were he and Bray Wyatt uh, strongly leaning into conspiracies about the Illuminati, the lizard people, and uh, all those other fun things that you can read about on the dark web from people who storm uh, federal buildings. But the fact that there was a writer back there backstage who apparently there was only one writer who was into the conspiracy theory thing enough that he was trying to help flush a lot of it out for them. So could you imagine? If somebody would have at least had a modicum of sense to let the both Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas go deeper into the Illuminati conspiracy theories, blah, 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 have a writer who could manage it, not make it so ridiculous that you would turn it off, but turn the TV off or change the channel, but make it so palatable that it was in, in vague that you really couldn't tie anything together. I think it would have been magical. And I think Vince could have had something that clearly he didn't want. So Bo Dallas is gone. Um... And uh, let's go to uh, Wesley Blake. 
Um, you know, a lot of things happened with this. Uh, the fact that he got caught up with Jackson Riker and the Forgotten Sons tweets, and I don't want to really revisit them. Um, but, uh, you know, guilt by association kind of hurt him a little bit there. Uh, you know, you've got just basically not being used. You know, uh, uh, they were there was a lot of positivity I felt for uh, Blake's tag team uh, and with uh, Murphy and Blake and Murphy. I actually was a fan of them together. I felt like, well, if they're going to throw two guys together who look similar and they kind of wrestle a Lucha style, even though they're slightly heavier uh, than most Luchas go for it. Um, Wesley Blake just ended up becoming a victim of uh, circumstance again, not really using him, but not really doing anything. Uh, and again, I'm not really predicting where these guys go, but I would love to see Wesley Blake sign with AEW and then be a guy who came in and confronted Hangman Page. Because, of course, Hangman Page is, you know, not doing anything really. Let's face it. Um, even though I don't have a whole lot of stake in the AEW brand anymore, that I've kind of given up on them, I'm kind of treating them like Impact right now, really don't care, which is weird that AEW and Impact are teaming together but that's that's neither here nor there um the i i would like to see west blake go and uh you know walk into jacksonville and do one of two things either slap adam page around slap him back into reality being the ass kicking cowboy or uh at least come in and say you know i'm his buddy and blah blah and we're from texas and blah blah even though he's from georgia or something i don't know uh uh pages from georgia but uh you know get together both of them and uh you know uh Maybe they could wrestle each other. Maybe Wesley Blake come in and wrestle Adam Page and then, uh, you know, cut some type of promo about you should be the star of this company. You should be the guy with the belt, not Kenny Omega, not John Moxley. You should have had it for, uh, first. And yet, look what they're doing to you. They're letting you uh, drink with these overgrown incel goofs, blah, blah. What happened to your manhood? What happened to you? Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Make up some story. We used to go up and down the road together. I don't care what you got to do to save Adam Page from. Uh, mid-card jabroni hell that he's in right now. And Wesley Blake could do it if he's there, if they booked it right. But of course, it's Tony Khan and AEW, so they wouldn't. But I guess the only logical place really for Wesley Blake to go now would probably be AEW. So that's the only one that I'm telling you for sure he should go somewhere. But again, just like everybody else, the WWE built these guys. They trained Wesley Blake. They gave him a couple different gimmicks. They gave him all this opportunity and they gave him the brass ring. They ended, he ended up winning the NXT uh, tag belts. And and they looked really good for a while. And, and you know, they got ruined when they got brought up. Um, but, you know, he's got all of these things that he did. He grabbed the brass ring. He did everything. He took advantage. He was in the right place at the right time. He got into the Forgotten Sons, which are completely forgettable now. He did all the right things. And he still ended up where he was, nowhere. And it's the WWE's fault. Because they're the ones that are responsible for the development of their characters. If they're going to sit there and pull people in to full sale, to full, pull people into the Capitol Wrestling Center, sight unseen, guys who've been on the indies for two or three years that are the new hotness, bring them in and train them to do it the WWE way. Or they're going to take these random athletes, you know, like all these like Indian cricket ballers and whomever, guys off the street and power lifters. And, you know, for every Bianca Belair, there's a Wesley Blake. But you're pulling Wesley Blake off the street, you're training him, and you're letting him know, learn the ropes as far as the world of professional wrestling. You owe it to him to put him somewhere. Now, I'm not saying immediately push every guy you see, but I'm saying that if you're going to bring all these wrestlers, these males and females, especially like Peyton Royce, Billy Kay, when you're bringing them halfway across the world, 
to put them in a position to be successful, and then you don't put them in that position, you know, look, here's, and before I get to the last guy, before I get to Samoa Joe, and I'm going to wrap up my thoughts and go in on the current head of talent relations. The Performance Center, just like any, just like any trade school, just like any finishing school, just like any college or university, local college, uh, junior college, community college, whatever, anything past high school, even the military, let's put it that way, you know, any place that's going to train you, that's going to take you on, you know, they don't guarantee you a job. Like, I know this stat is probably 20 years old, this is probably lower, but the stat that I always use with my students is 47% of all college graduates get a job in the field they studied in college within the first year of graduating college. So what does that mean? That means that probably one out of every two people who went to school to become a communications major works in the field of communications. One out of every two lawyers becomes a successful lawyer after they graduate from law school. One out of every two mechanical engineers gets a job with the State Department or a, a mechanical uh, a, a engineering firm within the first year. And we're not talking about internship, we're talking about actually job, job, jobby job. So whether you, whatever post-secondary education that you're involved in, you're not guaranteed a job where you study. Now, there's a lot of pressure for some of these places, especially these technical colleges and uh, these two-year colleges. For example, um, my own experience at the Ohio Media School here in Columbus, uh, they state that they have to maintain like a 74% placement or something to that effect where they, they tell you, while going to Ohio Media School will not guarantee you a job in broadcast media or blah, 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 we have a great track record of setting you up for success. So it's a basic blank statement. They're not guaranteeing you a job is what the point I'm trying to make is. No one's guaranteeing you a job. Okay. Um, so when you come out of a school and you learn a skill, you learn a trade, you learn something, you're not guaranteed that you're going to get a job right away. There could be a lot of different avenues. You could work as an intern for a year. Uh, you could uh, sub or be a temp at the job for a year and then get hired on. There's lots of uh, different avenues for people to not traditionally get the job, get hired right away. Um, and to some extent, that counts for the Performance Center slash Capital Wrestling Center. WWE uh, brings you in and of course they can't guarantee you a spot but if they train you and they groom you and they like you they do kind of have an obligation after a certain amount of time to make sure that you're successful in your profession think about it you know these olympic say you're an olympic athlete and your time is done in the olympics so you want to train for wwe now there could be a lot of other different things that opportunities you could do as an olympic athlete you can go back and coach you could try to do it professionally i know like professional sprinters don't get paid a whole lot but you know it's it keeps them alive um you could train for the next Olympics. You can, uh, you know, be uh, go into your field of study if you did that physical education, whatever it is. But if you're an Olympic athlete and you train with WWE, that is a specific finite occupation that requires real like hyper focus and specific marketing. Why do you think that the WWE is very, very uh, specific when it comes to look and what people can do in the ring and all that stuff they're very discriminating in a lot of ways and they need to be because they don't want to invest that time in you but vice versa if they're going to invest the time with you they got to do something with you they got to try to at least get you something i mean you could technically graduate the capital wrestling center with a quote-unquote degree in wrestling or you could learn how to wrestle okay um but 
the WWE is specifically trying to train you to do it their way. And maybe their way doesn't fit every other way. You know, I find that hard to believe, but it, it does. So again, the rant that I'm going on is, is that the WWE, if they're going to train you as a professional wrestler, they have an obligation to not just say, okay, we're well, a wrestler now. Try to get over on TV, pal. Good luck. That's the kind of stuff they were trying to get rid of in the territories. That's the kind of stuff they were trying to get rid of from the seventies and eighties. Like, Hey, good luck, kid. We're throwing you in here with a guy. Oh, by the way, uh, it's Dick the Bruiser. So have fun. Uh, we don't do that anymore. At least the WWE claims they don't do that anymore. So you do have an obligation to make sure these guys and gals can get over. And you do have an obligation to make sure that these guys are at least somewhat successful. And you can't just keep hiding people. You can't just keep re-signing people, especially when they're disgruntled or whatnot. You have an obligation if you've trained them to make them help them be something you have an obligation if you're flying someone over half a world away if you're taking someone from japan if you're taking someone from australia from canada people you 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 are banking on the fact that pro wrestling is their dream pro wrestling is their whole life and you're using that to your advantage just saying well we can get these guys to come in and, and maybe we'll see what they got and uh you know oh they're here like the Jimmy Yang slash JTG effect where they just keep showing up every day for catering and nobody notices or Raven effect, you know, Raven being on the uh, payroll for so long, uh, even after he'd been quote unquote fired that nobody noticed. So, you know, you have an obligation as a WWE to try to do something with these characters, especially if you're pulling them miles and miles away and pulling them away from the prime of their career and you're pulling them away from probably the most money they'll ever make in their profession. Whew. Well, someone who certainly is not at the prime of his career, he is kind of on the downturn of his career, and injuries have kind of plagued him too, but he still did not deserve this. The most shocking aspect of this, of course, is Samoa Joe. I don't know what else Samoa Joe had to do in order to get over and to be used. He was everything. Even when he was injured, he was useful. He was doing Chevrolet commercials. You know, he did this. He had this episode. I think it was only two or three episodes, of course, because they got rid, got rid of him. But he was doing like these uh, these extended commercials on YouTube. And he did one with Edge where they drove like a Chevy S10 or something around. I don't know. Um, Samoa Joe's amazing on the mic. Samoa Joe... Uh, could have been something better than he was completely disrespected and wasted in WWE. If the best he ever got was NXT champion and then us champion, he was completely wasted. There's no reason why Samojo shouldn't have been a champ at least once on the red or the blue brand. And as a matter of fact, they should have used him when he got that little fire against Brock Lesnar. When, when it looked like it was going to be Samoa Joe versus Brock Lesnar for the belt. They had perfect situation fall in their lap, and they did nothing with it. Now, I think Samoa Joe ended up getting a concussion or something after that, so they couldn't really do anything with it. But still, the fact is they did nothing with Samoa Joe. was completely criminal, and he deserved a lot better than he got. He was a great soldier. Uh, the Girl Scout uh, cookie thing on uh, uh, the Edge of Christian show was pretty hilarious. Uh, how do you waste a talent like Samoa Joe? Like, he is a complete monster, all right? He should have been, by all rights, wrecking the WWE when he was there. We were all so excited. I know you were just excited to see him, as I was. Um, what do you do with Samoa Joe now? His legacy is he pretty much floundered and was injured all the time in WWE. They didn't respect him enough to make him uh, a major player. It was too late. And uh, Samoa Joe was perfect for the WWE. A big, 
legitimately tough, badass dude who could beat anybody up at any given night. And you put him on commentary. You put him in commercials. You, you know, whatever. And Samoa Joe did his due diligence. He was, uh, he was a good soldier. He did what he was told because he's making good money. Why not? But I don't know. And maybe Samoa Joe, it's his story to tell whether or not the truth is of how he got let go or why he got let go. Um, just know that this was a huge mistake by the WWE and uh, they could have done Samoa Joe a lot better. I know we were all hopeful, wishing and hoping that Joe would be the guy to come and challenge uh, Roman Reigns for the Universal Belt, especially when we felt like Samojo was taking off raw commentary. We were all confident that, yeah, you're just going to hear the drums beat and you're going to hear badass Samojo walking down in a town shorts, ready to wreck Roman Reigns and completely demolish him. But it was not to be. And Joe, uh, God love you. WWE hardly knew you. Um, uh, if you could even have been half of Ring of Honor, Joe, in WWE, that would have been freaking amazing. So, Senior Joe, the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you on Black Thursday. Now, where does Joe go from here? Joe goes, hmm, let's think about this. Everyone says AEW. Uh, Tony Khan, again, became like the 20th most uh, tweeted name or mentioned name on Twitter today. So, of course, everybody's going to make the uh, obvious jump. You should go to AEW. But me, no. Nope. Because I don't want Samoa Joe to get treated by Miro and get treated like all of the other monsters that supposedly came in, like Brian Cage. I don't want him treated like Lance Archer. I don't want him treated like a goof, like all of the other big men right now currently in AEW. Because AEW couldn't book, um, I don't know, whatever metaphor you want to use. They just can't book. Tony Khan has lost his mind. Uh, and he's no good at putting matches that people want to see together or laying them out because he doesn't have experience. So the only route for Joe to go. And yeah, maybe he could go back to impact. I could see him going back to impact and uh, challenging Moose, uh, preventing Kenny Omega from taking the belt by taking it off of Rich Swan. Even though I think that's happening this weekend, I'm not hundred percent sure, but the best bet for Joe right now, uh, Joe should go to the U S dojo. Joe should go to new Japan. He should go there, move out to LA back at home. He could be home. I know he's from, I think he's from Sacramento or he's from uh, San Jose or, or one of the cities out there. Uh, he could, uh, you know, helicopter to Los Angeles every day and he could work there. And it's a style that behooves him. It's New Japan. Uh, he could wreck things there. Uh, he could beat up John Moxley. Uh, he could be the uh, U.S. champ. Uh, he would proudly bring that U.S. championship to the uh, Japanese mainland and fight there. Uh, he could definitely, I saw somebody uh, say uh, he should be in the next G1 Climax for next year. Definitely. He could work with New Japan. I think that's his avenue. Uh, and I think AEW would be a mistake. Why go from a, a, a mezzo mezzo, as my grandma would say, uh, situation in WWE to an even worse abysmal one in AEW? Just go right to uh, New Japan. That's the smart move. That's a smart play. And I hope that's what happens to Samoa Joe. So I'm not predicting anything for anybody else other than Samoa Joe and Wesley Blake pretty much because, I mean, that's it. And I don't know if you had any uh, thoughts on it as I was ranting. Again, uh, I wasn't really planning on going on as long as I did, uh, but but I did because I, we felt like at Heel Turn Wrestling that somebody had to come out and say something. And I know I've been on for an hour, but uh, let, me, let me just kind of uh, leave it with this. So with all of these moves, all of these moves and all of these unfortunate souls that were uh, disrespected by uh, Black Thursday, it only uh, falls on the shoulders of one person, really. And I know Vince is behind it. Yes, Vince okays things. Vince is the final say. Vince is the final boss. 
But if you really want to know, if you really want uh, the uh, the real idiot in charge, then don't forget, kids. Guess who they just rehired to come back to his old job, head of talent relations in the WWE? That's right. Johnny Ace, the dynamic dude himself, the funk man, hashtag funk man. All right, I'll, I'll start one hashtag, hashtag funk man. By the way, just an aside, speaking of Samoa Joe, Samoa Joe and uh, CM Punk had a really great exchange on Twitter. And uh, had I known that I was going to go on today, I would have posted it on. Uh, but uh, I think I posted it on my Facebook page, too. So you can look there. Uh, but honestly, uh, uh, since Punk and Joe are still pretty good friends, uh, just uh the fact that you can go back and you can watch all of cm punk's promos against johnny ace and be 100 percent true uh still ringing true today the pipe bomb about how vince mcmahon should be a billionaire but he's only a millionaire how vince mcmahon is just going to hire his goofs and yes men and how um at that time 10 years ago triple h was doing uh johnny uh, ace john laurinaitis's dirty work but now that triple h actually has a similar if like equal if not slightly higher position than johnny ace but it's still johnny ace doing this like i probably i i, I would assume that johnny Ace just looked at a roster and somebody he had somebody print out okay who's getting used and who's not getting used who's been on tv and who's not on tv and and then probably cross-referenced that with how much they're getting paid and just went okay boop 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 i doubt johnny ace even knows who bo dallas is i doubt johnny ace even knows who chelsea green is and just the fact that this guy is in charge of talent relations when, you know, he himself was not exactly a world beater in the ring himself. Somebody like him should not be in charge of the fates of people. And yet here we are. So we probably knew this was coming when Johnny Ace got his job back. And we knew there probably was going to be another day of massive cuts and a Black Thursday. And uh, they're going to blame this on cuts. But as CM Punk said... Did you call up Chris Masters and say, sorry, pal, it's a budget issue? You know, did he do that to these guys, too? Or did he have actual conversations with people? Did he actually look people in the eye this time and explain to them? Like, again, because for every Chelsea Green who's kind of amicably amicably splitting and uh, is probably going to try to get as many bookings as she possibly can uh, in the uh, – final stage of the prime of her career there's going to be a tucky out there who's just going to go on a huge twitter rant that i'm all for and whoever's going to get him first on their podcast i'm going to be uh listening to too i would like for it to be us i might even actually try to slide in his dms now but uh you know uh, whatever it's going to be uh whatever range that is chelsea green and tucky and everybody in between it's going to be weird uh and it's going to be wild and it's unfortunate and it sucks and the fact is i can't reiterate and i'm going to leave you guys with this the theme is the WWE had the opportunity. They were the ones responsible. They're the ones in charge of training and preparing these athletes, preparing these wrestlers to be successful in the ring. So it behooves them to try to do something with them, and it, and it didn't. And uh, just the anger that you were all feeling over this is the same anger that I have right now. It doesn't make any sense. Now, if they would have gotten rid of, say, maybe Chelsea Green and Kalisto or Chelsea Green and, and, and Bo Dallas or something like that, I would have probably understood it. But the fact that there are too many names that the WWE intentionally dropped the ball on on this list is too much for wrestling fans like me like you to bear and i know wwe's gonna say we wish them well in their future endeavors i hope whatever they do they shine even more brightly than underneath the wwe spotlight to prove that not everybody needs to be a wwe and wwe isn't a be all and all neither is aew either for for for, for uh to, if we're being completely honest
you know, uh, there's lots of other options out there too. MLW, uh, the New Japan Dojo in the United States, uh, Impact, uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, would you imagine Samojo going back to Ring of Honor winning? That'd be uh, fire. But again, uh, the WWE's loss is someone else's gain. Uh, and you guys are rightfully upset, and you can definitely comment on it on this below on my page or on the Heel Turn Wrestling page. Please do. Moving on. Briefly go through Raw. It's odd how bad it was, and as a matter of fact, really the only reason why they had Raw is just so they could sneak in the mention of the new pay-per-view, which, which is the pay-per-view that we already expected and anticipated, which was Backlash. But oh no, not to let... A good idea go to win himself. Uh, Vince McMahon is continuing to water down the very prayer. So it's not just WWE running in May. It's WWE WrestleMania backlash. Because as long as you keep saying the word WrestleMania, you get more mileage out of it. <sighs> At any rate. Um, Riddle comes in, starts off the night. Uh with a Lashley and uh, they leaned into Riddle for getting his now Riddle's cutting promos of and I quote saying that in fact uh, which no one cared about and Lashley ended up beating him up and then you know, getting him in the ring and beating him up although it was a little better match than I expected but again it's an extended squash you're not going to beat the almighty and who knows what Matt Riddle is he's probably in Kevin Dunn's eyes a comedy wrestler uh, from now on so whatever um uh, uh, Riddle did try to do a nice floating bro, but uh, Bobby Lashley caught him and put him in the hurt lock. So what do you say about that? Next, and you know something was going to happen because you see Sheldon, uh, Benjamin, and Cedric Alexander in the ring. And uh, because they didn't even get an introduction, you know they were going to lose. And they lost to the returning Viking Raiders, who looked slow and looked like they hadn't wrestled in a while. Um, and I feel bad because um, Ivar looked like he put on a little weight. I mean, yeah, you know, they're both rehabbing and recovering. And it's not like Eric did a whole lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, working out and wrestling, you know, with a new baby and eating a lot of Viking food, I'm sure. But uh, they looked a little out of shape, and a little out of step. Uh, they probably should have done a couple of dark matches somewhere before they fully came back. But they're back and uh, they are back in the ring and hopefully uh the tag team division will become a serious threat again uh, one can only hope uh but yeah shelton lost and uh cedric lost because nobody knows what's going to happen with those guys either rhea ripley and oscar wrestled to a no contest oscar uh, uh she invoked her rematch clause which we all expected this by the way was match happened after uh charlotte flair came out and cut a huge i'm back promo but it was really good in the fact that she said uh, everybody's talking about um the standard and everybody's talking about uh uh the the opportunities getting opportunities she said i am the opportunity so that was really good that was a nice little homage and uh, for her to be very vocal on her personal side like her her uh her personal social media and saying that how much she wanted to build the other female wrestlers up and that she was getting too cliched being put in the title picture, all that to come in and do this promo, this type of promo to establish, reestablish herself as Charlotte flair 
Uh, you know, she did talk about how people think she got opportunities because of her last name, but she wants people to know that she gets opportunities or she is the opportunity because of her first name. So the reason why it was a no contest, because Charlotte came back out and attacked both women. So let's hope they try to stay away from the three woman uh, match that they're ultimately going to have. Probably WrestleMania backlash is going to be the three of them in a triple threat for the Raw Women's Championship. Um, so that's really a shame. Um, Miz and Morrison, two-on-one handicap match, uh, pretty hilarious. Uh, with uh, Maurice being out there, um, not really doing anything, but being a guest of the Miz TV. And uh, this, there's this thing, John, John Morrison is doing a fantastic job with his character of being the, 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 the guy who's off of it, but, but still there. Like he wants everybody to know he's important too, but, but he still knows that he takes a back seat to the Miz. It's really good. And, um, you know, Miz of course used that. I'm not dressed or prepared. Um, uh, uh, Damien Priest is a star. Damien, I, I apologize for everything I've said bad about Damien Priest in the past on the show. I take it all back. Damien Priest is a superstar. He looks awesome. He, Cut such good promos. He doesn't have to scream and shout. He's so far intelligent above the rest of the other wrestlers. He just makes people look stupid. And he does his thing. He's so athletic. And he just he, – he moved in that ring like he was actually the one with the handicap, not the one that was the handicap perpetrated on. So um, moving around the ring. Um, again, Miz plays his role to a T. He got disrobed by Priest. Um, Maurice was there for the distraction and, um, the Miz was able to do the heel, uh, roll up pin with the assist from the ropes, but just Damian Priest just is a star and it just, it's a matter of time before he's the one that we're looking at being in the main events of things. Um, next match, Nia Jax versus Shayna Baszler, uh, again, uh, with, uh, defeated Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, pretty funny backstage. I don't know why Shayna Baszler walked away, but Nia was talking crap and Mandy was like, yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad I could laugh at myself. I uh, wouldn't want to be embarrassed and wouldn't want to be unaware of things and distractions because you don't know what's ha what's going to happen in WWE or some of the fact, I know I butchered it. And as soon as she was talking kapow, uh, Dana Brooke comes from behind a officer and they both attack Jax and throw up against the pole and Jax continue to not sell it and just stand right up and just fume into the, in, into the camera. Well, the match was ugly. The match was just just botchy. It wasn't clean at all. Uh, Nia Jax did the her heel thing where she went after Dana Brooks heel and then put her in the stretch muffler. Um, and then uh, uh, then they up played up the the slip by Nia Jax was trying to climb in the ring and she slipped and fell. Um, but. Uh, you know, people were laughing at her, I guess, because that's her thing now. Her thing is to do the very thing that she's making fun of, like with Lana, you know, putting Lana through the table. And now she has to go through. I don't know what if you want to call it lazy or creative, you know, creative has nothing uh, positive to do with this. Uh, I guess they they won by disqualification because Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke were not going to fight Nia Jax, Nia Jax. So they just decided to take a powder and go up the ring and go home. So I don't know. They took a count out loss. It was what it was. Um, the new day and 
Elias and Riker, which is a match that I really think, or a feud that should really grow. I think it's time to elevate Elias and possibly Jackson Riker. And a better way to do it would be, uh, one of the better ways to do it would be against the New Day. Uh, they ended up beating them, but uh, the way that they were talking uh, leading up to the ring, uh, you know, they were talking about, um, you know, uh, that we, how could you hate us? Uh, you know, we're we're at least at WrestleMania, or or we don't have to uh, be somebody's lackey. We're our own men, and and how could you hate us? And I like Xavier Woods had that line about how could you hate these smiling, heavenly, cherubic, angelic faces. Although Kofi didn't look into the camera, but, you know, Austin, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I almost called him Austin Creed. I met Xavier Woods did. Uh, and uh, they beat Elias and Jackson Riker. I would like to see this program extended. I just hope it's not just a one-off thing. Um, then we get to the finals. And uh, by the way, before I get to that, I need to mention, and I included a picture of him. So new to the broadcast booth is former uh, ESPN uh, show host, and I believe he's still with MLB Network. It would make sense because Vince is probably very chummy with the MLB Network, seeing as though the people who created the MLB Network also helped create WWE Network. But uh, personality and and commentator and play-by-play guy Adnan Verk was added to the WWE announce table uh, Pat McAfee joined the SmackDown table. Pat McAfee did an overall better job, I think, because he's more used to the product than Verk is. But Verk is now going to be uh, part of the WWE Raw announce team. So he can only get better from here. He didn't have a great uh, showing. It looked like he probably just started paying attention to the product about a month ago when he was hired or so. Um, so we'll see how this went. I know a lot of people are hating Adnan Verk right now about, about it. But uh, as I tweeted out, it's not like we're at home not going ooh and ah to every match in every moment. Uh, Drew McIntyre uh, uh, and uh, Randy Orton uh, and Braun Strowman went at it in a triple threat, uh, which Adnan was calling. Of course, he was calling the whole night with Corey Graves and Byron Saxton. Um, Adnan, by the way, tried to get on the whole make fun of Saxton thing, but it didn't exactly work. I think it's better to keep one neutral guy if you have Corey on one side and you have Byron Saxton on the other. I think it's better to keep and then for kind of neutral, but uh, be that as it may, that's what happened. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, Adnan Verk did a pretty good job. He, he called a couple of moves that weren't moves. Like he called uh, uh, a headlock something when it was just a, uh, a grab, a hook. Uh, when Bobby Lashley was trying to suplex Matt Riddle, he called it a headlock. Uh, obviously they're feeding him lines and uh, Vince is probably screaming in his ear. So Adnan gets to enjoy that. A uh, 75-year-old man rambling to uh, lay out in, in his ears, probably. Not what he signed up for, but it's what he's going to get. Oh, and let's get to the match. So um, this is for a title opportunity as Adam Pierce, everyone's favorite general manager, come, came out to say that this is a WWE title opportunity at WrestleMania Backlash, the absolute worst-named pay-per-view since probably Armageddon or something. Uh, or, or no, sorry, Great Balls of Fire. This is Great Balls of Fire level of naming pay-per-views. So anyway, uh, they went at it. It, it. it was what it was. We've seen this before. We've This is this is nothing new. This is uh, three guys that we've seen wrestle each other multiple times. Braun made some kind of comment about uh, don't 
don't consider me stupid or don't think I'm an idiot because the last guy found who called me an idiot is still at home nursing injuries, you know, and so and so. And that was kind of cool. Um, uh, I don't know. It just went back and forth. Uh, MVP uh, talked about, um, you know, the almighty championship address and the fact that, uh, you know, Bobby Lashley was in the back because he was still stewing from his match, even though he beat Matt Riddle. He was still stewing about the disrespect that he's being shown uh, by the WWE, so he decided not to come out. Well, McIntyre wins. And interestingly enough, as this happens, from out of nowhere, former Retribution members, or maybe they still might be Retribution members, who knows, uh, T-Bar and Mace came in and double choke slammed McIntyre uh, as MVP gladly watched on so wwe raw as you see ad inverse smiley face wwe raw did what it's supposed to do unfortunately it did not have the same pop as most wrestlemania raws do like the raw after wrestlemania is really the one to go to not really wrestlemania itself because as we all know wrestlemania is more for the corporate sponsors and the and the big names and the big stars and whatnot but the but the raw is usually after WrestleMania is the rowdy one, and of course it was because they were doing a Thunderdome of it, so they didn't really have fans there. But next year, if they have Raw in Dallas again, the Raw after WrestleMania is going to be like off the chain. It's going to be like Caligula, and uh, that's kind of what they understand. That's that's where Vince likes to use the phrase Bizarro World. This Raw after this WrestleMania was very subdued. It wasn't exactly like the the ones uh, Raws after WrestleMania in the past. There's no Cesaro tearing up a balloon. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, you deserve it chance or uh, we hate you or anything like that. There's no malice. There was only Mace and T-Bar standing uh, in, uh, in the shadows of MVP. So who knows? There might be a revamped Hurt Business coming soon. Nobody knows. We know that this was a very lackluster Raw, especially when it's at the standard of the Raw after WrestleMania. That's about it. That's all the time I have today, kids. So what uh, went wild. We went into a lot of different directions, but we covered it. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, interestingly enough, as I said, a couple of uh, a couple of wrestlers are reaching out to me. Independent wrestlers are reaching out uh, to come on the show, and I would love to have them on the show. I'm going to talk that out. Might have another guest very soon uh, i'm gonna have a palate cleanser here there's a really cool local uh show coming back uh next week and i'm probably gonna take the boys too um i might even cleanse the palate and watch some mlw or catch up with them who knows but uh it was a very wwe oriented last couple weeks so we might change it up a little bit flip the script and watch the backbone slip but meanwhile i want you guys to continue having fun watching professional wrestling do your thing we're out of wrestlemania season and we're on to the next because the juggernaut keeps rolling on. I want you guys to continue having fun with pro wrestling. Uh, and uh, love, love it, love it. And uh, do your thing. This is me, Steve Castellanovo, signing off. Thank you for watching the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. Happy wrestling. And I'm out. Thanks for watching. Peace. Peace.